We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, CMOS girlies? It is Emma. Kate is sitting right next to me. We are potting together IRL because Kate is computerless at the moment. Yeah, it's been a um, hell week over here. But yeah, it's a Sunday. It's gloomy. We are not potting on a Saturday today. And we're going to be talking about exercise again. Another fun little exercise episode. Today is, yeah, episode 74, low versus high impact. Kate, how are you? Thanks for welcoming me into your humble abode. I'm doing well despite the rain. I've been listening to um, Taylor Swift this morning, just to get into the angsty mood. There were absolutely no people outside at 8am. I was like running down the middle of the street and I was like, what the fuck? Like it is so quiet on a Sunday. Everyone is out getting fucked last night, I guess. Not us, not us. We were going to go out. And then I was like, it's fucking cold. Yeah. Everyone this like past weekend was like pretending it was like nice out. I'm like, no, it definitely still feels like winter. And Kate and I were like, yeah, I don't want to actually trek in the windy cold. I'm Waiting to go out when I can like finally wear a skirt because again, a common theme between Kate and I is that we both hate pants. We hate pants. And I refuse to go out in pants. And so I will be, you know, hibernating until the legs can be shown. Yeah, I've been trying to go to this one spot that I'm gonna gatekeep for a bit, but they have Dickies and Stan Rays and like men's pants. And so I'm I'm trying to transition my pants over to just those pants. And I just tried to describe this to my mom and she's like, why like what's they're not gonna fit you in the crotch area and everything you know like mom men's pants are fucking cool like I I love my dickies and honestly I feel like New York is at least like an acceptable place to wear like non-flattering garments it's just when I go back to the Midwest I look like an absolute hag all the time and my parents are like how the fuck do you go but so does everyone else in the Midwest everyone else in the Midwest looks like a fucking hag but in a different way because my parents are like they have this expectation that like I live in New York I'm some fashion girl and then I come back and I'm wearing just sweatpants with stains on them and my dickies and they're like what is wrong with you like why do you let you go um but I'm at this point I just get uglier and uglier every time I go home um that being said yeah how was your morning you make anything fun for breakfast I let's see here I did Pilates in my apartment I did Pilates too yeah Kate is finally a Pilates Pilates um but you did like solid core which is definitely like more intense than like my little mat stuff but I will say whatever ab stuff I was doing yesterday you know when I was like half asleep Wow. Did feel, did feel things. That's what I love about Pilates. Running, I have to be conscious or I will get hit by a car. Same with Barry's boot camp or I will fall off the treadmill, Mm -hmm. right? Pilates. Okay. (laughs) This is another thing. I I was, we're trying to think of like food and beverages that we've had this week that have been interesting. I actually have one now. There's this drink that I got sent, swindled somehow through some PR agency called Canna or Can or something like that. 
that was a CBD drink. Oh no, it fully has THC as well. Um, so it's made in California. You can't get it in New York, but it has both CBD and THC. And so my little routine before Pilates was to hit this beverage, go to Pilates class, and then I'd like walk out. But I don't know. I'm like, was I high in Pilates class? Like, it, I, I feel good. The, the moral of the story is you can be asleep during Pilates to a degree. Um, so that's been my routine. I wake up, I'm asleep, walking a mile through Soho, and then I do Pilates and it's it's a great, it's a great morning wake up. Yeah. I've been drinking a lot. This brand called like Rasa, they're basically like a caffeine alternative brand. They sound Kate and I stuff, but they like have a bunch of like adaptogens and you have to like brew it in your French press. So it's not like some like weird clumpy powder that like literally will not Sick, blend yeah. for like the life of it. But I've been like sipping that and I've been actually very intentional with my adaptogens. I think I was very like enlightened after our interview with Lauren. And so I've been very like strategic on like when I've been taking adaptogens, but like yesterday I felt just so chill, so mellow after I drink like my random like rasa cow fucking like shatabari root beverage. Yeah. But yeah, I've been really loving that. I also had not a baking failure, but also wasn't a success. So French squirrel berets are like only sold in whatever, like Erewhon. Yeah. But she sent us like the CMOS ones. Of course, I finished them and they're delicious, but I should support and repurchase because I do actually like her product, but also I just hate buying things on the internet that's like food or beverage related just because I'm like yeah. I'm so used to just like going to my Trader Joe's and grabbing something like in 10 minutes but so I tried to recreate the French roll braids you know I of course did not follow the recipe I was like oh she has the ingredient list right there this is all stuff like I pretty much understand the order of operations I will say they turned out fine I just like did not add enough like sweetener I did not like enough maple syrup so I'm Wait, going did you to freeze them and blend it in like um so all I did was I blended some oat flour to not measure some almond butter and then some like spices and like water to thin it out. And then I melted coconut oil and cacao powder. And then I poured it all over the little mm. shaped balls. I think I was supposed to like freeze the balls before whatever, dipping them in the chocolate. Freeze the balls. <laughs> freeze the balls. Um, but yeah, so I've been eating those for like my dessert. They definitely, you know, hit and they have like pea protein and, you know, they are indulgent enough for my liking. But yeah, I will give you guys all updates. So maybe I now become some- I'm as a baker now. Uh, this isn't even like baking. I'm this is like, this I'm... is raw vegan baking. Uh, next week, I'm just going to come back and just put an application to work at Happy Zoe Vegan Bakery. Straight be in the lab. Um, we should pay back. We should pay our respects and head back to Happy Zoe's visit. Paula. She's probably worried about us. Or is she completely uh, forgot about us? I don't know. I mean, I, does she follow, she follows the meme page or some shit. She probably sees that we're not vegan and hates us. Yeah, probably. Um, on your same note, yeah, I hate ordering shit online. Emma and I, here's the thing. Honey Mamas, if you're listening to the podcast, Honey Mamas, anyone out there, um, send Emma and I the birthday cake shit. We're not ordering online. Like I texted Emma, I got a free shipping discount. I still will not press send on my mm -hmm. phone. I will not. That's a good thing for my impulse. Like I will never make a purchase on my phone because it feels fake and fraudulent. So yeah, this past week I haven't had a computer, which has been um, a little bit of hell on earth, kind of driving me crazy to be doing all my e-girl work on my laptop, on my phone, but it's been fine. Um, so yeah, I've been getting, you know, high going to Pilates. I've been just wandering around. Um, I did not make any French berets. I'm trying to think of any random thing I made. Um, one thing that I have is interesting. So if anyone knows, I've been on my workout tour of America, Barry's bootcamp being one of them. And I, while I was waiting for class, I got there fairly early. Also this guy that I matched with on Tinder, we started talking and I never, we never have, have stopped talking, but he was like, Oh, I love going to Barry's bootcamp. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going tomorrow at eight 30 at Tribeca. And he's like, me too. <laughs> But he was not there. So I think it was a fluke. It was a mistiming. But while I was waiting at Barry's, I noticed they have a little shake bar. And if you want to get your shake, like right after class is done, you can write before the class starts. Like, I want this, this, and this, and write it on your little list. 
So I was looking at their little shakes just out of curiosity, like what protein do they use? Like what, how do they market their shit? The names of these smoothies at Barry's Bootcamp are the goofiest of goofy. I feel like every smoothie place you go to always has stupid shit. Like that Cafe Gratitude in LA, you have to say like, I am loved to order a bowl of like kabocha squash. But Barry's Bootcamp, I'm going to read you through some of their shake options. So like one of them is called the Muscle Up. I get it. There's some that are normal names. One of them is called the Skinny Bitch, the Superfood Flex, the Green Latifah. Dirty I'm just imagining like, okay, a very Bootcamp dude that. is like very buff. I feel like like that's like, the target like person who like goes to Barry's Bootcamp. Imagine like some buff dude being like, can I get the skinny bitch? Also another one that is demented and orthorexic is called basically air. And here's what's in it. Water, blueberries, and whey protein. What the fuck? You're paying $10 for blueberries and water and whey protein? <gasps> that is a scam. Um, yeah, there's also the dirty chai town, the detox elixir, the, the lemonade lipo. Like what? Yeah, I'm gonna get liposuction at Barry's boot camp. What the fuck? So that was one thing I noticed. Um, I do not want to try them. I don't want to consume anything that comes from those places. It just seems odd. Um, yeah, those are crazy names. Yeah, crazy names. Can we just keep it like regular? You know, like, like chocolate banana. Keep it plain Jane over here. Um, but yeah, today's episode is gonna be like on low and high impact exercises. These are like conversations that Kate and I have been having in every our, day. Like, every yeah. Life. Just kind of like, you know, sometimes I feel the pressure to do, you know, more high intensity exercises, but then I feel like my body reacts better to like low impact. And so kind of like figuring out like, you know, why that might be. And also it's like really interesting too. This is like not super related, but I was listening to a mind body green podcast about like exercises and how like the different, maybe like, um, sports that you do like growing up and kind of actually influence like your creativity as in the fact that like you know basketball is a very creative sport or it creates very like creative people because it like requires you to like be kind of like on your toes and like really like think about your next um like move versus like maybe swimming and gymnastics where it's very like structured and like routine oriented and that might make you more of like a routine oriented person Mm -hmm. but I think this also can kind of tie into like your relationship into like different like you know high impact or low impact for me like you know I was a swimmer my entire life so I feel like my relationship to like high impact workouts is not as strong. And I'm kind of like always like wary to do them. And I also feel like whenever I now try to do high impact exercises, my joints are very much like, what are you doing to us right now? And I feel like I am more prone to not like injuries, but like, I do definitely feel like I, I mean, like, yeah, like some sort of like injuries or like, you know, muscle wear and tear because my body's just like not been exposed to such movements before. Yeah. And online, this podcast, I think too, it's a lot about being a beginner. I think that's the scariest part. I think there's a huge intimidation fact that Emma and I've talked about. There's a learning curve when you go to fitness classes or try a new movement to begin with. Um, running specifically, like the first time I ran, I felt like a Bambi on ice. It was like, this is awkward. This is not natural. When I went to Pilates recently, I was like, I am embarrassed. I can't do it. And I think that fear of failure often like holds us back from movement stuff. Cause you don't want to be like the, you know, the ugly hag in the class that can't do shit. Um, but like you're saying, I think I've found out that the best I've been in the best shape when I'm doing a diversity of movement, I get questions, Kate, do you run every single day? No, that's not good for you. And I think there is a push in certain circles that like I do Pilates every day or I run every day. And for me, it's like diversity of movement has been the biggest helping point, um, for my overall, like, I don't know how I feel about my body. And if I feel like I'm getting adequate rest and working every muscle. In a I way. completely agree with that. I definitely have been like varying up my exercise a lot tonight. Like I'm doing swimming and Pilates and then like, I'll go on like minor jogs here and there. And I think just like having that ability to like have different options is like really great. So when I do wake up, you know, if I feel like, okay, I absolutely like Can't cannot swim because it's like rain outside and I don't want to trek over there. Or like maybe my 
legs are really sore from like running the past day. Like at least I have some other movement to do to like make me feel good. And so I think like, again, we'll kind of get into, you know, the health related benefits of each and like actually why you kind of like need both like the yin and yang in order to like actually feel the best and actually set your body up for success to like avoid injuries, et cetera. And I think you should treat working out like you treat with supplements and food of having a schedule and a routine. And I always was apprehensive to ever having a running schedule because it seemed very toxic. My relationship with lifting all throughout college, it was like, even if you felt like shit, you had to go lift your max PR, you know, deadlift and bench press and shit. And I was like, I hated that routine and rigid experience. Kind of like Emma was saying, I like waking up now and being able to do something something right but that being said one thing I do is kind of like setting myself up for the week is I'll write like every day of the week ahead like Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday and I will write what workout I think I'm going to do that day um and if I feel like shit and I don't want to do it I can change it if it's a class that I've already paid for I'm pretty much going to go um but having a roadmap ahead is really nice because let's say like you're running and you're like god I feel like shit but then I know that I'm not going to run until Sunday you know you're able to mentally get through things and realize that like there are larger goals than just you killing your body that one day um because I used to get so fixated on like why and we'll talk about it with um, the different zones of exercise which is something I've been trying to pay more attention to um because I was noticing I was like I keep running a lot slower what's up what's up with that and when I had like a weekly outlook on how I was running versus being like on Tuesday, I ran like dog shit, you know, it was easier for me to feel like I wasn't losing progress or like still in good condition. So I think that can be another good, easy hack that you can do to just like, feel like you have some sort of autonomy over working out. Yes. Amen. Great, great tips. Um, but yeah, we're going to cut then we'll hop right back on and we'll get into the show. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Alrighty, let's get into it. So we'll start kind of high level and then we'll get into like the nitty gritty. So and a lot of the stuff that we'll be talking about, I feel like overlaps with other past episodes that we've done. So if we bring something up, we'll mention the other podcast episodes. You guys can go back down and do more research and listen more if you are intrigued. But so kind of like what the difference is between like high impact versus low impact, like difference between like high intensity and low intensity. So high impact is basically going to be any sort of workout where both of your feet are leaving the ground at the same time. And so these types of exercises are going to be harder on the bodies and joints because there's a lot of like pressure that's being put on them. So this is going to include things like CrossFit, running, burpees, and jumping. Like, you know, your foot is kind of pounding on the floor. Like that's a lot of effort putting on to your joints and muscles. Whereas low impact workouts are going to be like anything where one foot is going to like be needed to like leave the ground. So not both. So this could be anything like cycling, swimming, yoga, Pilates, These are all going to be easier on the body and joints and your muscles. 
And now intensity is essentially, this is pretty self-explanatory, but like how difficult the workout is. So, or like kind of like your rate of perceived exertion. And this can be measured by things like your heart rate, where, you know, if you take your two fingers and do like the heart pull, so if you have like some Apple watch, et cetera, that's how you can measure it. And I want to point out one thing that low impact workouts can actually be very highly intensive sports or activities. I feel like they kind of get a misconception of like low impact sports that they're like easy or less effective. Like I could probably do like a five minute case study on like why I think swimming is like one of the most challenging sports, but I'm not going to, cause that's like a boring conversation. But for example, if you're like swimming at like race speed, like that is a very like highly like intense workout that you're doing. Um, so that's just kind of like the main like differences between like high impact and low impact. Um, I'm sure that's kind of like all something you all already know. And then kind of getting into like the health related benefits of each, because each one is going to offer different like benefits and why, you know, it's important to incorporate both. So with high impact exercises, these are going to be best for kind of like your cardiovascular conditioning, right? So it's going to improve your body's ability to breathe in oxygen and send all this oxygen to your organs, muscles. So it's going to improve like your heart and lung health, you know, when you're like running and you're like breathing like super heavily, like that is obviously like great for cardiovascular health. And it's also going to improve your bone density and also help strengthen your bones, which can lower your risk of osteoporosis. But the one thing to make note of this also is that high impact sports can lead to a higher risk of injury, just due to like the constant overuse of muscles, especially if you aren't taking adequate like breaks or recovery days, or if you're not incorporating low impact movements, which gets me into the health benefits of like low impact. So low impact movements, you know, these are going to help improve your mobility because you're using a full range of motion and you're working your muscles in like different directions. So it can reduce your risk of mobility related injury. So, you know, like in yoga and Pilates, there's so many different like small movements that you're doing with your legs. You know, you're putting, you're, you know, lifting it up and down behind you, in front of you, et cetera. And so it's also going to increase your stability and balance because you're focusing on more like slow stationary movements, like a single leg, you know, raise. And it's going to allow your body to establish balance over time versus high impact so with high impact, you know, you're moving at a very like quick speed that your body isn't really able to kind of like adjust and establish balance within. And it's going to be helpful for injury recovery too. And I think, you know, if you're a runner who has experience like injury, or if you were like a student athlete, you know, you do like a lot of like conditioning exercises, if you have experience like an injury to help, you know, strengthen and work those muscles without putting a lot of stress onto them. Also kind of adding to that with running specifically, um, I was injured for about two months that it was due to overuse. And at that point, one thing that is really helpful is like a lot of the reason you get injured when you're doing the higher impact stuff is because like Emma said, you don't have a solid foundation. And so let's say you tear something like your, your left knee, that is because your left glute is not strong enough to support you. So running is something where you're on one foot. If you think about it, like you're just going very fast. So it seems like you're just on two feet the whole time. So it really challenges like what, or when you are injured or in those places where you are focusing on the low impact stuff, it's exposing your weaknesses. And I think that's a reason why a lot of people don't want to do it. Like you don't want to stretch because you realize like, holy shit, I am very sore. Um, you don't want to do something that is focusing on like a weird muscle because you're realizing like, yeah, it's, I, you have to think about this and I am weak in that point. So that's another thing to know with, um, injury recovery. Yeah. And I think it's also great to, you know, with like, you know, improving your muscle strength as well, you know, you don't actually have to like have like access to like a gym or like dumbbells, et cetera, to actually like help yeah. build muscle. Like you can fully do it with like your own body weight. 
Um, but kind of getting back into like low impact exercises. Again, these are also going to be like really great exercises for like those who are new to working out. So if you haven't like worked out for a while and you're like really like intimidated by the idea of like running, you know, like just starting to do like some Pilates or even if it's like, not, I was going to say Zumba, but yeah. you know, like stuff like that where it's like, you know, very easy to do and it's like low impact. And so you're not going to like feel super out of breath and feel like shit or like, you know, embarrassed for like, you know, not feeling your best. And these are also going to be great movements for like active rest days. And again, can aid in performance of high impact workouts. Cause again, you are improving that mobility and strengthening muscles that are needed in order to perform certain like jumping exercises. And so I feel like a lot of times in a lot of podcast episodes that Kate and I like listen to, you know, there's a whole lot of talk on like longevity. We did a whole podcast episode on this and we talked a lot about like the importance of like running. And I think like, you know, when you're like younger, it is like, and I think also with like how toxic, you know, the whole like workout um, community can be or like on social media, you know, people are always talking about like, you know, which one's the best for like weight loss, et cetera. But I think like one way I think to kind of like frame your relationship with like exercise, if you do feel like those circles can be really toxic, is kind of focusing more like on longevity and like the bigger picture as opposed to like, I'm just gonna like burn a million calories from like the soul cycle class. And that's the only reason why I'm doing cycling, even though I hate it, right? So a lot of research has been done on the blue zones, which for if you don't know, those are just like regions in the world where people have regularly lived until like hundred, you know, that's like in Sardinia and like Okinawa, et cetera. And they're focused on like regular, they focus more on like regular movement throughout the day versus like one intense workout. So like, you know, in modern American societies, you know, most people are probably going to the gym at 5 a.m. before work, doing a really sweaty session and then like sitting all day. Whereas like people in these blue zone regions, you know, they're walking, they're cycling, they're dancing, they're doing Tai Chi, they're doing gardening, like all throughout the day. So they're moving their bodies throughout the course of the day versus like one, um, one intense workout. And there's actually a study on people in Norway that I was reading about from Harvard and everyone in these like groups, they did about like 700 women, 700 men, they all averaged like the age of 73. They basically monitored their workout routines for five years straight. And one group had a high intensity, like you know, workout session. The other one had a low intensity, but both were also just doing like their standard 30 minute workout sessions regularly throughout the week. And at the end of the study, there was actually no difference between like the death rates between the two groups and all groups had similar levels of cardiovascular like disease and like deaths from cancer. So there wasn't really much like difference between these two buckets. However, there was, there is like one thing to point out that those who did the harder workouts had better outcomes on certain measures of like mental health and physical fitness. So I think that just like goes to show that like you can still be healthy and set your body up for success if you are only focusing on low impact and, or if you're only focusing on like high impact. But I do think that it is probably overall best to incorporate the both as, you know, to avoid certain injuries, et cetera. Yeah. And kind of bouncing off of this, this is the next big point. we got a lot of questions about, which are going to be cortisol levels. Um, we all know that stress is bad for your body. I think we all can recognize that, but then when it comes to like actually dealing with your own stress, it's very hard to take it seriously because you want to keep pushing. And there is like toxic fitness culture that like the masculine energy of like, you just need to push through pain. And like, it is good to train. Like I always tell people, it is really good to train on the days that you might feel sore, but you have to be at the point where you are experienced enough where you know what pain is and you know what just like you don't want to do it is. And that takes some time and energy to do. So cortisol levels and how that relates to exercise. So with high impact, really intense stuff, you're going to get this point where you do not reach or you reach a point where you don't reap the benefits of exercise anymore. And that might seem crazy. Like what? I'm in the gym 10 days, 10 days a week, seven days a week. I'm going there for two hours and you know, that what I wanted to achieve, I'm not actually getting. Yeah. Your body is a system that's much more powerful than you are. I think we get in this like 
Western thing that I can control my body, kind of like how I can control nature. It's like, no, your body knows what it's fucking doing and it will shut down unless you treat it well. Um, so your body's going to enter fight or flight, which I think you guys know it starts triggering cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And then it's going to be released when you're in this mode. And so cortisol is detrimental to the digestive system. It's obviously detrimental to your physical performance as well, but you don't have this time to be able to balance like the really intense movement from you just being able to think at your desk, to be able to walk to the grocery store. So it's damaging your entire day and your entire life, not just like the perceived exertion when you're working out. Um, another thing with cortisol levels, if you are constantly skyrocketing your cortisol levels, it's kind of like the same thing to the body when you're in an eating disorder that it can make you extremely hungry. Your body is, goes back to our like ancestor times where it feels like you're getting chased down by a bear. And so it's like, I need food. I need to like sit down. I'm way too exhausted to do anything. So that's the dangers of spiking your cortisol levels. One thing that I have noticed, and I've been trying to think about a lot is I've noticed when I do hit workouts. So I do something like spin class or Barry's boot camp and like burpees or something like that during class, I've started to notice that I get bloated. And I'm like, is this me in my head thinking I'm bloated or is this a legitimate thing? So when I was looking into this, it gave me a few options. I'm going to talk about it later when we get into de dehydration too. Um, as we build an intensity, our breathing when we're working out can be very forceful. So you're breathing in and out and you're trying to keep up with what your body's doing. And in those moments, you can imagine your breath pattern is not natural. And so you're going to be filling your stomach with excess air as long as your lungs or as well as your lungs. And so once this air gets trapped into your stomachs, it can be retained for sometimes and can cause you to bloat after workout just because your, your normal breathing patterns were disrupted during that time. And so when you try a more stressful workout, your body is going to release cortisol as well. And so cortisol is something that does disrupt our digestive system. So those two things, there could be a reason if you do experience bloating after a workout, it's not a bad sign. It's not dangerous. It is just a body's natural response to like the movement you're doing. As we said before, as long as you were doing high impact stuff with intention and with caution and like in a healthy fashion, don't worry about the post-exercise bloating, but that's just like a tidbit that I kind of um, was nervous about. But the next one that I've heard about in a lot of podcasts is gut health. You know, gut health, everyone's fucking talking about in their health podcast. But one thing that is interesting is how exercise changes your metabolism and gut health research and all these clinical studies are kind of becoming more funded recently. So a lot of these things don't have conclusive results, but some of the hypotheses that are coming out um, is that exercise promotes the growth of a certain gut bacteria, which is going to produce the fatty acid butrate. Butrate is going to be something that helps repair your gut lining and reduces inflammation. And that's why working out is an anti-inflammatory act. Like you're preventing disease, you're preventing IBS, you're preventing insulin resistance, all these things that lead to chronic illness, right? So exercise is something that we think cognitively can shift your gut microbiome and guard you against um, obesity and also just improve your metabolic function. But there's something that they're like kind of getting into with low intensity versus high intensity movement. And so one study found that these women who performed at least three hours of light exercise, so this could be something like a walk or a swim, they had increased level of a very specific type of gut bacteria. I'm not going to say the names. They're like the long ones you see on a probiotic thing, like Fasobotelium proskinosis. These like just look like random letters. <laughs> yeah. But a few of them specifically are known to reduce inflammation. And also the, some of them are associated or correlated with a lean body mass index. So it means that certain microbiome changes are linked to different types of workouts, which is very interesting to think. Like if you're doing HIT your whole life, your gut's going to be a lot different than someone just walks their whole life. 
Um, now this isn't conclusive, but that's like the only thing that impacts gut health, right? There's a lot of factors, but it's definitely a factor that people are researching now. Um, athletes are also being studied too, that athletes have had a, a more diverse microflora and higher abundance of those three bacteria than those who are more sedentary individuals. So it is really interesting to think like, is it your environment or is it your like activity? Cause your gut is predetermined by birth, but also like you can do a lot to change it. Um, the one point that it can become a little bit risky is that like when you are in this stress response, like we said earlier with your cortisol levels for a prolonged period, it does shut down your gut function. So this is because the blood is going to flow away from the, the gut um, and it can lead to what is called like leaky gut, uh, leaky gut syndrome. Is that what they kind of call it? Um, it sounds a little hippie and wonky. And sometimes I hear it that kind of like adrenal fatigue where I'm like, is leaky gut even real or is this a joke? Um, but it is due to like the blood being flown away from your gut doing exercise. And so the disease that you could have, it's, you're not going to get it diagnosed from your doctor, but it's called exercise induced gastrointestinal syndrome, which happens after two hours of intense activity. So this is not going to be you going on a 30 minute run. This is the intense marathoner. So if you're doing a marathon, you're cycling or something for more than two hours, that could be something that could impact your gut. Um, another thing about this whole kind of like shift between athletes and non-athletes is that runners and cyclists produce more endocannabinoids in their blood. And we kind of talked about this in the CBD episode about like what endocannabinoids are, but they can provide some pain relief and improve mood. So as you get, you know, more stronger and you're able to run longer distances, it has this like feedback loop where then you're able to have more pain relief because your body is used to it, which feels kind of like intuitive, I guess. Um, and the only reason that your body could get, I think, inflamed during working out is if the gut loses so much blood that it could damage the gut lining. So overall, you shouldn't really be concerned as long as you're once again doing movement healthily, like each type of movement has its own benefits. It just gets to the area if you're doing one way too much. Um, yeah. And so the results is that like, we still need additional studies to kind of understand this relationship between fitness and gut microbiome. It's likely that athletes have a very different microbiome than less active individuals, but we don't know how long it takes for you to see the differences. So does that mean if you've been an athlete for a year, does it take like 10 years of being an athlete for your gut to be different? They're still studying that. Into the next point, something that I've also heard about in a lot of health podcasts um, is about electrolytes. So I think it was in, I don't know, Mark Hyman or someone, they had on a guy who was an ultra marathon runner. And it's very common that runners will pass out when they drink too much water. And I feel like in our culture with those dorky ass water bottles that are like 70 ounces and halfway on the bottle, it's like, keep going, like all that type of motivational stuff. water bottles. We yes. are obsessed with water, which is like good to a degree, but also it's like another one of these individualistic, like puritanical things where like, I need my eight cups or I'm going to die. It's like, it wasn't, you know, drinking water when our ancestors just had access to water. It was like, if you were thirsty, you better run your fucking ass to go to the mill and go get some water for your family. It like, it's just so weird that now it's like, so robotic to be like, well, I need to drink water. I need to set a timer to remember to drink water. Um, so there can be an issue from drinking too much water. And that's because you do not have enough salt. And so if you're drinking too much water during the course of example, a 16 mile race, it actually has killed some runners in the past or like led to a cardiac arrest. Um, it causes your cells to swell up and most cells can adapt the change, but ever, but overall your brain can adapt to that big of a change between like the water and salt imbalance. So that's why electrolytes are really important. I thought they were something goofy because like Gatorade is like, I feel like everyone has shoved Gatorade as a child. And I was like, I don't need this. 
Um, but salt and particularly sodium is like the primary electrolyte loss when you do sweat. Also things like magnesium, calcium, and potassium. And so de dehydration is a mechanism to actually hold on to fat. But at the same time, it is this issue where it's a catch-22 because if you drink too much, you're going to hold on to fat. But also if you because of like the dehydration, your body's going to go into this kind of like fight or flight mode. But then if you don't drink enough water too, um, your body's going to have a lack of fluids, which will lead to bloating. Um, it seems very strange, but if you don't have enough liquid in your body, your stomach is going to retain the water to compensate, which will make your body visibly swell. Um, so that's just to say, like, make sure you're not drinking too much water. Make sure you're not drinking a million ounces of water. Just keep it intuitive. If you're thirsty, drink water. If you worked out, probably drink a little bit more. Um, the next part of the podcast is something that I'm very interested in my personal life, and this is heart rate zones. Um, if you've seen anyone with their Apple watches, their Garmin watches, you've probably seen that even on a treadmill when it says, here's the ideal heart rate to be. I've never taken it seriously because I'm like, I don't want to think that much. I just want to put my music on, go on my silly little run, come back. But there's a lot of science that depends on what type of heart rate zone you are working in that can change like if you're reaping the benefits at all. So there's going to be a different ideal heart rate. I'm going to walk you through kind of each heart rate just so you have an idea of them. No, I don't have any tracker to do this. I don't have an Apple watch or anything. So it kind of sucks that I'm like, maybe I should buy a Garmin watch to try this with my running. Yeah, I remember in swimming, we would always like take two fingers, hold it to like our whatever pulsing, like underneath like our like neck. And we would like count how many for like 10 seconds. And then I think like that is like perhaps like an easy way. It's probably not the most scientific, but right. the best way that you're probably going to be able to, yeah, unfortunately do this is like through some sort of like Apple watch monitor. Yeah. Um. So the first zone is going to be at 50 or 60% of your perceived max. And this is your recovery zone. So this is something you're everyday living, you're walking around, you're not doing anything that's overly active, but you still are moving. So you should be able to easily carry on a conversation with someone. So think about it. Maybe if you're going on a five minute walk before you're running, or you're just fucking around walking and talking at the same time, the next zone, which I'm going to talk about a lot is going to be zone two. So this is going to be 60 to 70% of your maximum aerobic function. And this is the sweet spot that a lot of cardiologists say that you should aim for. Why? Um, well, overall, like exercising for heart rate zone two, it feels like this. It feels light. You should be able to go on a long time at this intensity. So this is going to be a jog where you can still hold on a conversation. Now, I hate running with people. I just like fucking hate it. I just want to be in my own zone. But imagine if you were talking to someone or like on the phone during your run or something like that. Um, 60 to 70% of your maximum heart rate, as I said, and the purpose behind this training is to be able to sustain a pace that's just below your aerobic threshold for 30 plus minutes. The reason the zone is so important is because it improves your general endurance. So if you're running and you're like, damn, I only can run a mile, you want to improve your endurance. So then, you know, in a few months, you're able to run two miles, right? Your body's going to get better at oxidizing and burning fat and your muscular fitness will also increase along the way. So as I said before, the test for this zone is going to be if you can hold your conversation and this zone, some of the benefits of working in this zone are going to be that it optimizes your mitochondria just based on like how hard you're pushing your body and also for how long you're pushing your body. Um, you have a lower resting heart rate. You also have something called an increased VO2 max. The way you can get this tested, I might go and do it, which is kind of funny. You run on a treadmill and they hook you up to something that looks like these random tubes in all of your, your nose and your mouth. I don't even know. It's not your ears. I almost said your ears. You don't breathe out your ears, but your nose and your mouth are covered with this long tube that connects to like an oxygen machine. So it's like testing when they put you through different speed intervals, like what your heart, your VO2 max level is. So once again, this is like something that like, you know, most people don't have access to, but that's going to be a benefit of working in zone two. Um, and the other thing is that with zone two, we talked about lactic acid in the first episode, what it is. It's like when you feel like your legs feel like brick and there's something in there and you can push it out. It's a response to working out. 
when you work in zone two, you're increasing the ability to be able to like, you know, burn, not burn muscle, what I'm going to say, but work at your aerobic capacity without the buildup of this lactic acid. So you'll go on a run and you're not going to have the downside of feeling like shit the next day. Um, you're also going to help your body use fat more efficiently as a fuel source to pre preserve your glycogen sores, which we've talked about in episodes about like, I don't know, like exercise and just what that difference is. Um, and then the next thing is, yeah, it brings your body into this parasympathetic state. So it allows you to rest and recover more effectively. If you ever find that you go on a run or you go to a workout class and you're kind of in this heightened state of stress the rest of the day. I know that happens to me sometimes if I push myself way too hard, it's like 5 PM and I'm trying to just like chill out. And I feel like my body is like twitching. My heart rate is a little higher. I feel a little bit more stressed. That's a signal that you were pushing yourself beyond zone two. Um, so zone three, this is going to be the most dangerous zone to train in. It's going to be 70 to 80%. It's called the dreaded gray zone. Here's why. And this makes a lot of sense to me. And I think I've definitely trained in the gray zone before. So there's evidence that you aren't getting a lot of benefit from this workout from an endurance standpoint. It's because you're going way too hard to get the benefits of zone two. So that general endurance state I was just talking about. If you aren't, but then at the same time, when you're in this zone three, you're not going at your race pace. You're not going at your max effort. So you're not getting the benefits of that training level either. And that's why it's this dangerous gray zone to be in because it's not doing anything for your body. It's going to be like hard. It's going to be hard for you to do, but it's not hard enough where you're going to see results that change your composition the next day or your goals. Um, I mean, there's some benefits to like working in zone three, like, you know, it makes your moderate efforts more easy. So let's say you run a 5k at a zone three pace, the next time you run it, it'll be even easier, you know, but from a, a long-term health perspective, this is a dangerous zone to be in. The next zone is going to be zone four. This is the threshold zone. This is going to be your race pace. You probably can't sustain this longer than an hour. Um, if someone's asking you a question while you're running in this pace, think of it as like, you can say yes or no. You can say a one word answer back. Um, your body's going to be burning through carbohydrates in the zone. It's going to boost your lactate threshold. So that's going to be beneficial for training and, uh, competition settings. And then the last zone, which we don't typically train in is going to be zone five. This is 90 to hundred percent. So this is your max effort training. It's short bursts. It's seconds. It's like five seconds. You can push as hard as you can. Um, the way that this is beneficial is because it teaches your body to adapt to this high state of stress. Um, you can buffer it out of your system. And most experts say that like two to 5% of your overall training should be done in a zone five because it's going to put you in the fight or flight state for some time. So back to zone two and why it is so efficient is because longevity, like Emma was saying with the blue zones, that this is just going to prolong your lifespan and your overall like cardiovascular function and just your ability to move. So one thing that a lot of, I hear from a lot of running coaches, and it's been taking a long time to actually practice what I preach here is that you should train slow to run fast. You always should run a lot slower than you think. Like you should, I'm not saying run, you know, minute per mile, a lot slower, but you should not be sprinting if for all of your runs, you're going to burn out so quickly. The average runner tends to run way too fast on their per, quote, slow days. And then too slow on their fast days. Like you're in this gray zone and you're not getting the benefits of zone two or zone four. Um, so humans are known to like die of very predictable causes in America now in Western countries. Most of the things are like chronic disease. Um, and the common root cause of this is going to be poor metabolic health. And this is because of poor mitochondrial function, which ties back to like not having this good, uh, performance in the zone two. So exercise zone one and zone two are going to help boost your mitochondria zone three and above are not going to improve your, your aerobic function, but they're going to help you with like the, the short bursts and stuff like that. So 
that's one thing to consider. I think I want to get a watch so I can actually be a smart runner and not make sure that I'm not, you know, pushing myself too hard. Because as I said before, there's really no benefit. You might feel like hot and sexy that you're sweating and you're running a fast pace, but if you're not doing anything strategically, like you're going to burn out. Another sign I think too, that I've noticed is that overtraining, um, when it comes to cardiovascular stuff, also weightlifting, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have sore muscles. Sore muscles are tend to be a good sign. One sign of overtraining is that you have a higher resting heart rate, you have a higher basal body temperature, you have a lower heart rate variability, and you have a gradual decline in your performance. So if you're going on a run and you notice that you're sweating a lot, your heart rate is higher, but you're also not running as fast as you used to be, that could be a sign of overtraining, right? So taking into consideration that it's not just going to be like a muscle failure. That's what I feel like we think with working out that I'm like, quote, working out too hard or like, oh, my workout yesterday was way too hard. It's about like, are you better than you were yesterday? So thinking about like body progress almost. Yeah. I think like the whole like zones is actually very interesting. I think it's like a fun thing to maybe focus on versus like perhaps like calories. But I think like, that's a very like dangerous space that people can easily get into with exercise. And also I think like, yeah, it takes you out of that mindset and for me as well, what I was going to say about the zone exercising and just like exercise in general is that you can still reap a lot of benefits. Like Kate said, with like the zone two training without like being like super out of breath. And so I know for like me too, whenever I have exercise and I feel like I like, you know, wasn't like working as hard as I thought, like you're still reaping benefits, even if you like, don't physically feel like you are. Yeah. So kind of like to round out this episode, since so many of our listeners are, you know, female or do experience some sort of period, I think it's important to touch on hormones because as Stephanie Estima says, <laughs> women are not many men. And so, yeah, kind of like the whole idea of like maybe training with your hormones to reap the most benefits from your workouts. So, like I said, women are not many men. So biochemically women are different from men. So a one size fits all approach to workout does not work for women as our hormone cycle impacts such things as metabolism, cortisol, caloric needs, et cetera, which all are going to play into like how we react to different workouts. And, you know, studies for the longest time in the wellness space, especially in exercise often exclude women. So the benefits that are promoted online by experts may not translate the same way for women as they do for men. And in some cases, these sort of um, benefits that, you know, experts are promoting can actually work against women and our hormones. And the one thing to really call out is that like consistent, intense exercise can interrupt a balance of hormones and hinder our menstrual cycle because it's going to lead to a heightened state of stress, like Kate mentioned in, you know, when she was talking about cortisol levels. And so our body is able to signal that if it's like in a heightened state of stress, it is not in a good state to have a child. You know, you really want like all of your hormones to be like in balance so that you can actually like go about having a child because like that is like the whole purpose of like our menstrual cycle. And this ties into like the female athlete triad, which I know we have mentioned a lot in different exercise episodes in our female hormones episode. And this is a common thing that many women experience if they are like an athlete or if you're just like overtraining where you experience amenorrhea, so your loss of period, bone loss. So, you know, osteoporosis later on in life and then low energy availability. And so this really kind of, if you are someone who maybe has experienced these things before, or if you're, you know, wanting to improve your, you know, hormones, or maybe if you do have a very irregular cycle, focusing on what exercises are best for you during different parts of your cycle will actually kind of help in making your, yeah, you not experiencing your regular period. And a lot of this also will kind of make you realize like, oh yeah, when I wake up like on day 27 of my period and I like feel like should I do not want to run, it's likely because of your fluctuating hormones and not just like you not have enough like willpower or strength to do an exercise. 
So the first half of your cycle, the follicular phase, which is going to include your menstruation and ovulation, this is going to be the best time to high intensity movements. So you're running, jumping, you know, those type of movements and why. So it's been known that during our luteal phase, which is like the second part of our cycle, we are going to fatigue faster and require more rest days. So we're going to fatigue, you know, less or not as quickly during the follicular phase. And also estrogen and testosterone rise during the follicular phase, which is going to lead to increased energy. So that's why during this time, you may actually feel like just naturally more motivated to do more stuff. So this is like a really great time to really push yourself or maybe like, you know, try to, you know, run a faster pace, swim a faster pace as well. And the ovulatory phase specifically is when our energy levels are highest, which makes the most time because this is like when we want to like be like procreating and then like having a child. So it makes sense like during this time that we would have the highest energy levels. And so in the second half of the cycle, which is like your luteal phase, this is going to again, include the day after ovulation and then just the day right before your menstruation. This is when you're going to want to take it like easier, lower impact exercises. And this is because estrogen and testosterone drops and progesterone rises. So this is going to immediately lead to like lower energy. This is when your PMS symptoms occur and your body is just kind of like prepping, you know, to shed the lining. And so it's already kind of in a state of stress. So you don't really want to put extra stress on your body and, you know, heighten your cortisol levels even more. And again, like I said, this is when you're going to fatigue faster as well. So, you know, try experimenting if you are interested in maybe like syncing up your cycle with your movements. And I feel like I've kind of have like done this in the past or just like naturally, like the days where like, you know, if I have no energy to work out and I like check my flow app and I see that like, oh yeah, I'm like seven days away from my period. No wonder why I don't feel energy to like go out and like swim and do all this stuff. You can still, you know, reap a lot of benefits from just like switching up your exercises. And this can actually then lead to you having like more successful, like workouts into your follicular phase. Yeah. I've never done a hard thing where I do entirely like a a shift between low intensity and high intensity for like the weeks. Um, but I think Emma, and I said, now that we've done health and wellness stuff and little habits, it's become intuitive that I feel like I know when it is. And I think the bigger part of this that we talked about a lot in the first episode about hormones is that if you are having signs of like, I am tired during my luteal phase, that's good. It means you're having a menstrual cycle. You should listen to your hormones. Now you shouldn't be having extreme cramps and like all this stuff that comes like we should all have natural periods without any symptoms of it, but that's a bigger conversation. But I think what I'm saying is like, listen to your body because it is good that you will have this variety. You know, when I didn't have my period, I could go out and do the same shit every single day, even though I felt good in like, quote, like my case, I wasn't good on a health level. So it'll, it'll come back to bite you unless you take it seriously. Um, but that's today's episode, episode 74. Now I'm going to looking outside and I kind of want to go to bed. It's, it's like 1 PM, but it's gloomy as fuck out here. Not motivating whatsoever. Yeah. I don't know what rest of my day is going to include. I don't need a grocery shop I at do. all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll probably, you know, do what, do what a wellness guy typically does go on a walk and drink water and then my magnesium. Um, oh, also, I don't know if we have announced this, but we have a TikTok. I really said, I don't think we like brought this up. So go follow Seamus Grillies again on TikTok. We brought it back. We've been posting regularly. Um, it's so funny which ones do viral. I mean, yeah. I have a TikTok myself. So I've, I've noticed that trend cycle where it's the ones where you literally don't think are going to go anywhere. Just get a random amount of views. And a lot of people are now following us 
um, because Emma's take on arugula, or maybe they're hating us because of that. But yeah, you know, if you like the memes, you like the TikTok. So migrate on over there. Yeah. Um, Emma and I are going to have some events into April, which we're excited about with the New York City girlies. Um, there's always giveaways on the meme page because I think you guys deserve some free product if I'm able to finesse my way there. And yeah, we're going to have more founders. Oh, we got a lot of feedback. You guys like the episode with Lauren. So we have two in the books that are going to be coming out soon. So go give us a cheeky review. We always fucking say this and I see no new reviews. I see no new reviews on Apple Podcasts. So give us a new review. Just click the five stars or some shit like that because we love you girlies and we wouldn't be here without you. Yeah, so thanks. Thanks for listening to the shot. We'll see you next week. Bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.